0: on today's message from Harvest Church of God. While he thought on those things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Christmas is about celebrating someone who came to us. But something greater about Christmas is that he has prepared a way so that we can go to him. Lord, we've come to the time in this service now when we turn our hearts and minds toward the book of life, the manual that we use for living here on this earth, anticipating home in heaven with you. I thank you, God, for its words that enlighten our hearts and encourage our spirit. I thank you for its words that instruct us in righteousness. And I ask you now, O Lord, for a touch of your spirit, your anointing, your grace, and help us to receive what the spirit has to say to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the postcards have all the characters that you see, wise men and Camels with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. A manger with a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Angels caroling and shepherds in their fields watching over the flock by night. All of the things attached to it. But there is a person that is attached to the Christmas story that makes all of it happen and makes all of it possible. He doesn't get the notoriety. He doesn't get the sermon material. He doesn't get a whole lot of the limelight but he is the central figure of making all of this come together. Without him, it wouldn't happen. And he's a a great example for us that when things look worst, if you'll look around, you'll see a promise of God, and you'll find out that God keeps his promise and keeps his word. He really does. I was just going over 34 years of Christmas preaching at Harvest. I've preached about... One particular sermon was, When following a star leads you to a shack. That was an old one. That's been a long time since I preached that one. Uh, I, I preached about the, the fact that the wise men weren't really a part of a manger scene. They came later, maybe as much as a year or so later after the manger. The postcard's nice, but uh, the wise men weren't really a part of that whole episode. Uh, as my Catholic friends would remind me, uh, you need to stick to the advent. The three wise men are part of the epiphany. Well, you probably don't know what epiphany means, but uh, that's for another sermon. But uh, that's, that's very true. The wise men came later and weren't really a part of the manger experience or the shepherds and the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. That was a, a, a great story and a good picture for the card, but it's just a little bit uh, errant there. All those years of talking about how hopes are so high and how that things can turn around uh, if you sometimes just have to have the faith to believe that God has given you a word, given you a promise, and you got to hold on to that no matter what people say about you or what people think about you or what popular opinion is. The forgotten man of uh, Christmas is Joseph. Joseph. He's the guy that, uh, hey, got that news, that uh, he was all prepared for a dream to come true, but that dream turned into a nightmare because of what God was doing. He thought it was a nightmare, but it was actually a blessing. Have you ever thought something was terrible and awful that had happened to you, but God turned it around and turned it into a blessing? That something that you thought was disaster and catastrophic that uh, when you finally got through it and looked back on it, you could see God's hand at work all through the whole situation and circumstance. God loves to do just such stuff as that right there. Let's read a text this morning. It's in Matthew, right after the, we did about the 42nd generation. That's another sermon for another time, too. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, I believe it is. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when his his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Found of child with the Holy Ghost. Now, let's stop right there and let's talk just a little about, about marriage in Jewish culture in the first century. In fact, the espousal period was just as important as the marriage. In fact, the marriage really began during the espousal period when uh, you had met the woman of your dreams and asked her to be your wife. The same requirements and same responsibilities of marriage are immediately enacted when she says yes. And the Bible says they have this commonality of this goal and love is such a beautiful thing when it's in courtship isn't it you remember those days of first love those days of uh, courtship and those days of finally getting that yes out of her I'll marry you amen what a thrilling day that was I remember the very place I was standing I remember what time of day it was I remember everything about when I asked Debbie Fincher to marry me. Now I know you're just running your head trying to figure out where that was. I'll tell you just exactly where it was. It was at Nakalula Falls, and I was standing right under Nakalula. <laughs> and she said yes. And praise God. I was supposed to start a revival here at Aniston on a, a Sunday night. We got married on a Friday night. I called Brother Sewell, and I said, Brother Sewell, we need to postpone the revival for a while. And he said, why? I said, I'm getting married. He said, uh, getting married? What night are you getting married? I said, Friday night. He said, well, the revival don't start the Sunday. That's plenty of time to get married. Wow. I remember just exactly the drive back, you know, and all of this stuff, and asking Brother Fincher if I could marry his daughter. And he uh, hum hard around a little bit about it, Brother Ford, to be exact. But he finally said yes. Finally said yes. She always had said she would never marry a preacher. That would be the last person I would ever marry. She'd always said, not a preacher. I'm a preacher's daughter, and I've learned enough about it. I don't want to marry one. But, you know, God has this weird sense of humor. He loves to take things you say you'll never do and kind of find yourself right in the middle of doing that. Be careful what you say when the Lord's listening and you're telling him where you won't go and who you won't be with and what you won't do because sometimes you find yourself doing that very thing. Well, In Jewish culture, a woman was expected to be as loyal and faithful to her husband during the espousal period as during the marriage itself. In fact, the marriage had already started in culture's eyes. They just hadn't yet come together. But each partner was supposed to be faithful and be virtuous at the time of their marriage together, when they did come together. And the Bible says that Joseph... The birth of Jesus was on this wise: when his mother Mary was espoused, not yet married, but espoused to Joseph. Before they were married, she was found to be with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, can you imagine what went through Joseph's mind when he learned that news? And he learned that she is carrying a baby and it's not mine. And he must have been full of of all kinds of emotions. Number one was he realized his dream of marrying the girl he loved had suddenly become very problematic, very tough, because like it or not, it's becoming more evident every day that she's going to have a baby, and it's not mine. I wonder what culture begins to think and what everybody around the temple and everybody around the marketplaces and everybody around the the community and the homes and the families that live nearby. And all when they saw she was expecting a child, but it wasn't Joseph's. Until God gave him an explanation. I love when God gives explanations, don't you? And he comes through Joseph and an angel comes and says, Fear not to take unto thee Mary, thou espoused wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Glory to God. And that verse 21 that I'm about to read, I shall call his name Jesus. That's part of that discussion. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Now that, that says volumes right there. When the word, talks, word of God talks about a just man, that means that he had lived his life in compliance with the law of Moses. That meant that he was a temple worshiper. It meant that he attended temple. It meant that he took his turn as priest when his turn came to serve in the temple. He did all of those things. He was very diligent to be subsistent with everything that he did to the law of Moses and temple worship and the Levitical system. He was a just man. He lived good. He lived right. He was in right relationship with God. And God says to him that a wife is going to have a child, and that child is the Son of God. That child is the promised Messiah. That child is the deliverer. That child is the prophecy of Old Testament times uh, in reality. That child is going to bring redemption. That child is God in the flesh. Boy. For him to receive that, in spite of all the embarrassment, in spite of all of the letdown of knowing that his dreams have suddenly been altered, and he was a just man, a just man. That means he was a compassionate man. It means he was a man that was submitted to God's will. He was a man that wanted to do the right thing. He was a man that had compassion for people that was making him look bad because all of the advice givers were saying to him all along hey buddy you don't need to go through all this that girl's not right for you now it's very evident she's not been faithful to you during this holy spousal period and you're bringing a lot of shame on your house and your home and your family because you're about to marry somebody and consummate a marriage, and you're not the father of that baby. You're a fool for doing that. You're an idiot. Why in the world would you go through that shame and that embarrassment? The best thing you can do right now is divorce her. In fact, the penalty could even mean death. If it had been Joseph's desire, he could have had her put to death. Are you understanding what I'm saying? But he's a just man. And the Bible said he wasn't willing to suffer her the embarrassment and the shame. And he put her away privately. Now what that really means is he took her to his house. Wow, you mean he embraced that whole situation of being the, fa- the earthly father of the Lord Jesus? You mean that he embraced that surrogate father role? In spite of the embarrassment and the snide remarks and all the things that were made about him being a stupid and being crazy and all of those crazy things. And he went ahead instead and embraced the plan of God and embraced the promise of God, believed what God said, and he didn't want to make of her a laughing stock, is what the original reads didn't want to make her an object of ridicule, didn't want to make her an object of shame and all kinds of cultural things that are spread upon people, a person of ill repute, I guess you would say. Not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. In other words, he put her out of the public purview and took her to his house and cared for her. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. Praise God. Now, he's already been compassionate, and he's already been kind and loving and tender and understanding and a just man and wanting to do the right thing. And now then the explanation comes. You see, sometimes people that cause you embarrassment, and people that hurt you and wrong you, if you can be kind and considerate and compassionate through those things, you sometimes can find a good result and can find a good ending to that story. A good ending to it. For rather than taking his right... Now, he had every right. And listen, the Bible said... He kept himself from having any kind of sexual connection to her because he wanted her to remain a virgin until she gave birth to the baby. Come on, somebody. What are you saying? He himself gave up his rights. And boy, that's that's a word right now that's just getting kicked around all over the place, isn't it? My rights. But in it, Good to know that this man had rights, but he gave them up. He had rights, but he gave them up so that the plan of God could be done in his life. He gave them up so that he could believe that the promise of God was true. While he thought on those things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, Joseph, thou son of David... Fear not to take unto thee Mary, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. 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 It comes from Yahshua. It means Jehovah is salvation. Did you ever know what Jesus means? Yeshua. It literally means God is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. Praise God. He said, name, why did the angel tell Joseph to name him? Because in Jewish culture and in Jewish marital ritual and ceremony, the father is the one who names the child, right? You remember Zacharias? when everybody was suggesting a name for him, why don't you name him after yourself? He said, no, his name shall be John. The angel said, name him John. The father names the child. So the angel, when the angel came to give the name for the Lord Jesus, he said, call his name Jesus. Call his name Yahshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of that was done, verse 22, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, because she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. What are you saying? He obeyed the word of the Lord. He did what God asked him to do. Last Sunday, I preached to you a, a message about Christ being formed in us, and I preached to you about peace that passes all understanding, a peace of God, not just peace with God, but the peace of God. I talked to you about a a man named Dennis Franks that was fighting a malignant tumor being taken from his spine and going through all of that and I quoted to you some sayings that he had told me about how he had perfect peace and about how he knew in whom he had believed and that God was his source and that God would take care of him. This last Tuesday, Dennis Franks went to be with the Lord. Not from cancer. It was from a another situation. He died in a cath lab. You just never know when something is going to come your way. You never know. This last week, a friend of mine of decades, a representative uh, from down in Roanoke area, Richard Laird, Judge Laird's father. I met him 50 years ago when I preached the revival as a teenager at a church in Roanoke, Alabama. Amen. Brother Laird, was the pastor there, and Richard was his son on the Western Auto store there in Roanoke. This last week, Richard went to be with the Lord because of the COVID virus. You know, sometimes life can deal tough blows. Sometimes you go through things that you don't understand. But what we learn from Joseph is that even when you don't have an explanation... And when you don't have all the facts and you don't know why, why, why is that question, why so much a part of us? Why is it that we've got to know everything before we'll take a step by faith? Why is it that when God asks us to do something by faith, well, I don't know about that? I saw the, a story about a young man that was on a flight it was a flight that was on its way to Quito Ecuador the year before I was born it was in a horrific plane crash it occurred on the slopes of the 14,000 foot high towering peak of El Tablazo not far from Bogota the aviaca airline flight bound for Quito Ecuador crashed into the side of a mountain, dropping a flaming mass of metal into the ravine below. A young Christian, Glenn, Glenn Chambers, was a passenger on that plane. He was killed instantly along with the entire crew and passengers. He had planned to begin a ministry with the voice of the Andes, a radio ministry to reach South America with the gospel. But that dream perished with the air disaster. The story goes that before leaving the airport in Miami earlier that day, Chambers hurriedly scribbled a note to his mother on a piece of paper that he'd found on the floor of the terminal there in the airport. That scrap of paper was once part of an advertisement, and in the middle of that piece of paper were the three letters W-H-Y, Y, sprawled across the center of that piece of paper. But between that, the mailing and that delivery of that note, Chambers was killed in the air crash. He'd scribbled a note on that piece of scrap paper he'd picked up off the floor that had Y written on it, and he scribbled a note to his mother, put it in an envelope, and dropped it in a mailbox there in the airport. When his mother received that letter, Glenn had been killed in the, in the crash that scrap of paper that was once a piece of an advertisement saying the word, why? When his mother opened that envelope and staring her in the face was that haunting question, why? Of all the questions we can ask in this life, that's the most searching question we can ask. But the greatest answer is what Glenn Chambers wrote around that word, why? Number one, God is too kind to do anything cruel. God is too wise to make a mistake. God is too deep to have to explain himself. At that very time, that mother stopped asking why. Because she understood then that her son was in the hands of God and that his whole life had been planned for that one event. That one event. Mrs. Chambers stopped asking. All other sounds are muffled when we claim his absolute sovereignty. When Joseph decided he is God and he's Lord of my life and I will do what he says and I'll go where he says go and I'll, I'll live where he says live and I'll, I'll be what he wants me to be and I'll do what he wants me to do. When we get to that place that we, like Joseph, can answer the why question with whatever God wants me to do. Is what I'm going to do. To be honest, this week has been something of a nightmare. My brother-in-law is in the hospital in Coleman right now. Regina, my sister, has the virus. Michael, my brother, has the virus. His wife, Kathy, has the virus. Her mother and dad, Carl and Hazel Taylor, have the virus. And they're just really struggling and fighting. It's been that kind of week. And I've been praying all week with people who are very distraught, not, not just the death of Dennis and the death of Richard, but in my own family. And sometimes when you think that things have just turned into a nightmare and you just wonder what's the next bit of bad news I could get. But I want to tell you, faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Praise God. You see, our source is in God. The Lord is our light and our salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I fear or of what shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Praise God. I will not be afraid. I will not be be fearful because the Lord is my light and my salvation. If I perish doing what God called me to do, then it will be my delight to go to be with my Lord. Ricky Trotter wrote to Dennis about the first day in heaven. When I strolled down the golden avenue, mansions left and right, a thrill with every sight. My first day in heaven. Wow. You know, we're celebrating today that God has come to us. But we ought to also be celebrating that God has fixed it so we can go to Him. A time that we can go to Him, a time that we can go home. I think you get the Christmas message that it's better to trust God and it's better to live for God. I read the story of a lady's name was Christina. She lived in South America, in Brazil, I believe it is. Her husband died when leaving her with a very small infant daughter. Her name was Maria. Maria hated the fact that she lived on a dusty old road in a little village in a back country, and she read all that she could read about Brazil, the capital, and she read about Rio de Janeiro, and she read about the bright lights of the city, and she longed to be free from the rural countryside that she'd grown up in, and she wanted to go to the bright lights. Her mother warned her, she said, the big city can be cruel. The big city can be a hard place. The big city has mean things that happen, and you'll be in danger. There's a lot of perils. But one day to her great lament, she walked into the bedroom of Maria, and as a teenager she had left, and the bed was empty. The mother knew immediately that the girl had left and gone to the the big city. And she knew what probably would become of her. Because to earn her bread in a city like that, you have to do what young girls do. So that mother immediately picked up her goods and gathered everything she could and set out for Rio de Janeiro to find Maria. She went by a photo shop and she walked inside And all the money she had in her pocket, she spent on making little pictures. She gathered all of those pictures and gathered them and put them, little black and whites, and put them in her pocket. And she went to Rio de Janeiro. She began walking the streets and she put those pictures up on telephone poles and on bulletin boards. She'd go into hospitals and she'd go into businesses, and everywhere she could find a place, a window to put a tape, she'd put a picture in that place. And on a Christmas day, after that mother had spent all that she had and could no longer make it in the big city, she turned and left and went back home when she had no more pictures and no more money. But Maria came walking down the steps of a hotel looked over on a bulletin board and saw a familiar face. It was the face of her mother. And she reached over and took that picture, that black and white of her mother, and turned it over. And it said, whatever you have become, whatever you have done, whatever has happened, please just come home. Just Come home. And she did. And she did. Christmas is about celebrating some, about someone who came to us. But something greater about Christmas is that he has prepared a way so that we can go to him. These poinsettias represent people that have gone on to be with him. They're coming now to recognize the people for whom these poinsettias represent. They were placed here in honor of people that have served the Lord but have left this battleground and have gone to be with the Lord and have received their reward. They're coming this morning to tell you about who these people are, what they represent, and what they've done. Let me give you one parting word. Don't get mad at God when things don't go just like you think they should. Don't think that God has failed you and God's given up on you just because things don't look good. Don't think that God has cheated you or that God has injured you because He didn't give you what you felt like you deserved or what you wanted. God never closes a door by what He opens a better door. A better door. A better door. Don't be upset and don't be distraught about all of these things. But like Joseph, just simply say, I know who my sovereign is. And my life is hid with God in Christ. And if you can do that, and you can walk this walk one step at a time, one day at a time and one step at a time, believing God, then one day this road will turn to gold. There have been a lot of times when the rocks hurt my feet. A lot of times when my body burned from the sweat and the heat. Times when my strength was almost gone. And my faith began to wane, and my back was bent neath the strain. Oh, I could turn around, for the road is still there. But every mountain that I've climbed, I again would have to bear. So you see, I just can't turn back. Some may be using my track. One more bend, and it just might be this road's end. And so so many of these, that road has turned to gold. Long and winding road, keep on leading me. Up ahead, I see a sign that points me straight ahead to victory. I know I must be traveling right, for I remember passing Calvary. And although it's dusty and it's old, for years it's borne the traveler's load. Someday, this road will turn to gold. And for some, this road's already turned to gold. But for me, someday, this road will turn to gold. Hallelujah.